Thank you, choir, Mulkey, Patty. It's a beautiful song, and y'all sang it beautifully. Please stand if you're able for the reading of the word. Our scripture today comes from the book of Psalms, chapter 139, verses 1 through 6, and verses 13 through 18. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. It's easy for us to fall into patterns and into habits and just kind of go through the motions of life. I think all of us have probably been been guilty of that at some point where we just sort of get into a routine or a rut and, and we just sort of coast through life for you know a few days or even for a season without really even thinking about what we're doing just because of the, the routine of things. But the, the opposite of that is what we call intentional living, where we are very mindful of what we're doing and the effect that it can have on, on not just us and our relationship with God, but on the people around us as well. We call that intentional living. It's when you are deliberately living your life out in a certain way and you are taking note of the things that you do in a very deliberate and intentional way. Now, there are two ways to uh, live your life intentionally. Um, You can do it um, with this sense of paranoia and this sense of fear, like you you must live your life a certain way or else something bad is going to happen. Or you can live your life uh, intentionally with a sense of purpose, knowing that there is a reason for you to live your life in a certain way. So we kind of have this, this contradiction of paranoia and purpose when we talk about deliberate actions and being mindful of how we, we live our lives. When I read this uh, passage here in Psalms, I, I think about the, the two different ways it can be taken, at least the first part. When you start reading what the psalmist says about, you know me, you know when I lay down, you know when I wake up, you know my thoughts even before I think them. Uh, if read a certain way, that could, that could probably make us a little paranoid. And I think that there probably are a lot of paranoid Christians who, who think of God as this, um, 
ever-judging, watchful eye that is just looking to see when they're going to stumble, when they're going to make a mistake. And so they live this, this life of piety or they, they strive for holiness simply because they feel like God is watching all the time and they better not mess up. And, and that's one way that you can read this, but I think that that's, that's not necessarily the best way. Because when we do that, what we're basically doing is we're taking our fears and our paranoias and we're projecting them onto God. Uh, when, and it's really because we're used to fear and paranoia in other areas. Just like people sometimes get paranoid over the, the NSA or the government watching us or our internet history. What, are they, what do they know? What do they see? And it's kind of funny. I was telling uh, Claire just earlier this week, you know, if, if they're watching everything that we do on the Internet, our search history, what we're looking up and all that, they've got to think that we're some pretty boring people. Uh, because, you know, you know, all I'm looking up is, you know, scriptures for sermons and stuff like that, and then maybe some, some hobby-related stuff, maybe stuff about playing a guitar or something like that. And, uh, and, and, but there are people who, who live their lives fearful of what the government may know or what somebody may be watching them do. And we coined this phrase, big brother. Big brother is watching. And, and so people will live their lives in a certain way knowing that they're being watched or being spied on. It even happens in the workplace when your computer activity is being monitored by your boss or, or a manager. And so people become paranoid about that. But guess what? They're very deliberate in what they're looking at. They're very intentional in not looking at the wrong thing. And that's good. That's good that they're being thoughtful and mindful of, of what they're searching for and what they're doing on the computer. We ought to be that way. But we shouldn't live our lives uh, doing that simply because we're paranoid or we feel like we're being spied on. Because the truth is, nobody likes to be uh, spied on. Nobody likes to feel like they're being watched all the time. Uh, when I was in high school um, at Columbus High, you had to uh, volunteer in the community service uh, so many hours or, or whatever, and I volunteered at Oak Manor uh, in Columbus, the nursing home, and they put me in the gift shop. And uh, lunch was later in the day. Lunch was provided, but it, it, was, it was a pretty late lunch. It was after everybody else had had lunch. And, uh, and I was there like six hours or eight hours or something like that. And so I was in this gift shop uh, for a long period of time, didn't have any money on me, and I started getting really hungry. And I decided I would just turn around and grab this bag of hot fries that was sitting there on the counter. It only cost 35 cents. Who's going to miss it and eat it? And, uh, and those were some good hot fries. They really hit the spot. And, I mean, I was so hungry, and I, I just tore into those hot fries, and it held me over until lunch. Now, uh, my mom came to pick me up at the end of the day, and as soon as I got in the car, she said, next week when you go back, you're going to pay for those hot fries. <laughs> and it freaked me out. I still, to this day, don't know how she knew. Was she spying? Was she looking in the window at me when I was at the gift shop? Or did somebody see it and then call her and tell her? I don't know. But it freaked me out. And the next week, of course, I dropped the 35 cents in the register and paid for my hot fries. But, but the next week, I was sure not to touch anything else. I didn't even, I, I mean, I, I stood there like this the whole time. I didn't even want to look like I was taking anything else. And so we do that. We, we, we behave ourselves because we feel like we're being watched. And that is certainly one way to produce a life of good actions. 
But that's not what God wants. God doesn't want us to live in fear like we ought to behave ourselves because he's watching and he's going to know when we slip up. In fact, if you look at this passage that we just read in, uh, in verse 5, as, as the psalmist is talking about, you know, you, you see me do this and you see me do that. And you know my thoughts before I think them and the words before I speak them. But he says, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. In other words, the same God who is watching everything and sees everything and, and knows what you're thinking and what you're doing, he's got his hand on you. And he's guiding you. He's loving you. And as we go on, we see that the, the psalmist starts talking about you, you've, you've woven me intricately, delicately. You've, you've taken all this time to craft me. And we see that, that God has, has created us in love. And if he creates us in love, then we know that it's in love that he is watching us. And so instead of paranoia, maybe we start to get a sense of purpose when we read this. We start to get a sense that God has a plan. He made you for a reason. He's a creator who knows you well. He took his time to make you exactly how you are and for a reason. Because he has something in mind just for you. And we know that because as you go on further down in, in verse 17, it says, In your book were written all the days that were formed for me. In other words, God has this planned out, what he wants for you. He, he knows where he wants you to go, and that's why with his hand, he is guiding you. He, he created you for a special purpose. Now, a sense of purpose can do a lot of great things for us. Uh, but one thing that it most certainly does is it takes away uh, any feelings of insignificance we might have. I know that it's, it's very easy to feel small and insignificant, especially if you get in a crowded area where there's a lot of people. You just look around and think, gosh, there are a lot of people in the world. I mean, a lot of people. And, and you don't normally get that sense necessarily when you're in Buena Vista. You can, you know walk over to the store and, and you're guaranteed to see some people you know and they know you. And, but you go to a place like Atlanta and you sit there in traffic for just a few minutes or you walk on the sidewalk for just a few minutes and you'll realize that you, you feel about this big. Like in the grand scheme of things, you feel so small. And you don't even have to go to Atlanta anymore. You, you can go to Columbus, Columbus Park Crossing on, on the weekend on a uh, shopping day when it's real crowded and you will feel very very small you can feel very overwhelmed and insignificant but at the same time our world is getting smaller through this process called globalization where we can communicate across the globe easier with each other all the time and there's no boundaries it seems like it's I mean trade and and, and all of this stuff uh, the relations between countries and between cultures uh, makes it to where the earth just really seems a lot smaller than it used to. Uh, Robert Wuthrow in his book Boundless Faith was talking about this and talking about how it relates to the church and, and how the, the globe has gotten smaller for us. And he says that no congregation, even in the most isolated corner of America, is exempt. Is exempt from globalization. He says the new Bibles in a congregation's pew stand a good chance of having been printed in China. The paper plates at its monthly potluck dinner may have come from Guatemala, and if they were purchased by a credit card, the transaction probably took place somewhere in India. That's pretty fascinating to think about. 
that just here in this church among us in Buena Vista, Georgia, somehow or another we've been probably touched by the actions of people from all over the globe. So when you start feeling insignificant, when you start feeling really small in the grand scheme of things, we've got to realize that our actions and what we do can also reverberate and be felt nationwide and even globally. And that means that the small church has more power than it ever has before. I mean, this, we average about 50 on a holiday weekend like this. It's less, obviously, but we're averaging about 50 here. But if you were to go to our Facebook page, you would see that there's, we have like 170 people following us on Facebook. And if you were to find our sermons online, where the audio is posted online, you'll see that, that sermons from our website have been downloaded nearly 900 times. So while we feel small here in the sanctuary, and we have a, a very modest group of people here, we know that, that it doesn't just begin and end right here on Sunday morning. We have the ability to affect people outside of the church for miles and miles and miles, and we can have a, a global impact. And if you don't believe that, just consider Operation Christmas Child that we've done the past few years. There are kids in third world countries receiving gifts that you hand-selected. Think about the missionaries that we support. Think about when we give to, when we pay into our apportionments, where all that money goes, all over, not just through the Methodist Church, but, but throughout the nations. And we touch lives that way. If that doesn't give you a sense of purpose, a sense of significance... I don't know what will. Because if you think about it, our church right here in Buena Vista is really just an outpost for something much, much greater. Uh, Y'all know that I'm a big fan of Star Wars. I did the series earlier this year on mind wars and used all the Star Wars analogies and all that stuff. But uh, And and The Empire Strikes Back, which is the best movie of of the the whole series, I think. Um, the, The Rebel Alliance is... Uh, based on this frozen planet called Hoth, isolated from everything. Hardly anything that is alive is there. I mean, nothing can live there because it's a frozen planet. But yet it is the base for all of their operations and for the insurgents and for overthrowing the empire. And I know that that might sound like a silly analogy, but that's, that's what a church is. It is a a base, it is an outpost, it is something for us to grow from and grow out from, to find our purpose and then reach out into the world all around us. And we can find many, many ways to do that, both as a body of believers and individually. Like I said, the small church now has more power than it ever has before. And that can be a wonderful thing, but it can also be a very dangerous thing. And that's why it's important for us to live with purpose and not with paranoia. Terry Jones was a pastor of a church in Florida who a few years back said that he was going to have a Quran burning party. He was going to burn copies of the Quran. And he announced it, and the, the word spread. And in the Middle East, they got so upset about it, and in countries like Afghanistan, they started rioting and protesting this, this crazy preacher in America who said he's going to burn all these copies of the Quran. And so they started rioting, and in that riot, 20 people were killed. And he backed off, Terry Jones backed off for a little while and said that he wasn't going to do it. But then a few months later... 
he came back and said, yeah, he was going to do it. And so him and his church, which is a small church of only about 50 people, went out and bought all these copies of the Quran and then came back and, and burned them. And again, more riots broke out in the Middle East uh, in protest of that. And 30 more people were killed. And 150 were injured. And so you had this, this church with only about 50 members living in, in, in this state of paranoia and doing something out of fear and out of, out of darkness and out of misunderstanding. And what does it do? It affects people all the way across the globe where 50 other people were killed and 150 more were injured because this church was not finding their purpose. They were living in paranoia. Our actions have to be dictated by one or the other. If we are going to live intentional lives, if we are going to deliberately do what we feel like God wants us to do, we have to either find purpose or else we are just hiding in the shadows of paranoia. But how do we find purpose? As a body of believers, we come together, we pray, we have committees, we talk about things that we want to do, or ways that we can reach out. But what about individually? How do we find our purpose? How do we know how God wants us to live our individual lives? Look at your bulletin, right on the front. Our slogan, Discovering Our Unique Identity in Christ. We celebrate our diversity by discovering our unique identity in Christ. But more than that, we also find our purpose by discovering our unique identity in Christ. Because it's only when we become tied to, to Christ Jesus, it's only when we bind our lives to Him that we are filled with a true sense of purpose. That we can realize exactly what it is we were created for. The answer to that question, what is my purpose? Who am I? What is my identity? It is found in our relationship with Jesus Christ. So we can read this passage, like I said, one of two ways. We can read it where we, we think of God as this ever-watching eye in the sky who's judging our every moves. And if we do that, we're going to live our lives in paranoia and fear and darkness. And we may be very deliberate with our actions, but we're going to be walking on eggshells. Or we can read this passage how it's intended. To say, the God who formed you, who created you, made you unique and special, and he intentionally did it with a purpose and with a plan in mind. And when we live that way, we not only find our purpose, we not only discover our identity in Christ, but we also bring glory to God, who is our creator as well. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you do have a plan for us, that you created us with purpose. And we confess that so often we lose sense of that purpose. Maybe we go through the motions or maybe we just become fearful of what we may become when left on our own. But Lord, we thank you that through Jesus, through the sacrifice he made on the cross, through the life that we can find in him, that we can also find our own life the life that you intended for us to live. Please fill us with that sense of purpose and that sense of significance as we live, not to stumble, but to bring you glory in all that we do. In your holy name we pray. Amen.